Welcome, everyone, to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. Thank you, Jake. I am Ian McCurtis. I am the host of this podcast all by myself. I do this with my two dogs, Blue the Intern Dog and Buffy the HR Dog. And, you know, it's a lonely life out here, but it is what it is. You got to make a living. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and And today I'm going to be talking about the Frank Ocean album that just, wait, hold on, somebody's knocking on the door, hello? Hey, it's me, it's Jake. Jake Curtis, who used to be the host of this podcast? Yeah. You're back? Yeah, I'm here. I'm back. I came back for the episode. Frank Ocean, right? Wow. Jake hasn't been seen in these parts for years. Uh, We're doing uh, Nostalgia Ultra, right? I mean, I I prepared to do Channel Orange, but I'm not really prepared to do this with you, but I guess uh, guess we can give it a go. So, for old time's sake... This is my podcast. For old time's sake, we'll get the band together and we'll talk about... Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. What are you talking about? This is my this is my podcast. What are you talking about? I was just I, w- I went in there to play PlayStation for like two seconds. Dude, you haven't and you haven't been on this podcast since like episode four. We're on episode like one hundred and thirty. What? What are you, you've been doing it by yourself this whole time? Yeah, for like over a hundred episodes. Over a hundred? Yeah, sometimes I do a bit where I pretend to be you, but we'll, we'll do it now. I've never heard it. I, I don't listen to the episodes. Uh, oh, vegan food and. California is really great. Tomatoes so good over here. Yeah, that's what you think I sound like. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, in the, in the Midwest here, like food's pretty good too. No, food sucks in the Midwest. <laughs> that's what I sound. Uh, so is the whole episode? It just sounds like you're having like a puppet show with yourself. Pretty much, but people love it. People I got a Patreon. Okay. I'm making thousands of dollars a month. I have a new condo, sports car. So 30 skateboards. one might say that it's, I, I could be the one to like have made the podcast great because I left. Mm, one, many have said that more than one has said that. Sounds like I should maybe be entitled to a little bit of that Patreon money, huh? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. I thought you died. Well, I just decided I'd show up for this episode because I love Frank Ocean and it's been 10 years I'm wearing since Channel Orange, Orange came out. shorts today in celebration. Oh, your little bird's poking out. That's fine. Yes, I'm not wearing orange. I own got no a little orange, orange on my clothing. little orange on my shirt too, just a little bit. I love your shirt, by the way. What is that? They're a wrestling tag team, FTR, best tag team in the world FTR. right now. We're not a visual podcast. Seven Star FTR. You can see what that is. Either you are an FTR fan and you know what he's talking about, or you have no clue. So Ian, they've deduced by now. We're talking about Frank Ocean, Frankie O, probably one of the biggest musical icons of our generation. Um, Channel Orange came out 2012 in the summer. I remember very vividly when it came out and the buzz around it. Almost exactly 10 years Um, ago. And it's kind of crazy to think that that album is as old as it is, you know, and it's, it's crazy to think that Frank Ocean's like 20 or 36, I think 34 now. So he recorded this when he was like 24, which is insane because this album feels so mature and like, you know, just kind of like innovative for what it was doing at the time. And, but it's also like, it's so connected to like 
the kinds of sounds and feelings and images that we had growing up, you know, definitely not the same, you know, life as Frank, but like the PlayStation music at the beginning of the album, the yep. movie sound effects throughout the record, like it, it feels very like, I feel like this should be called Nostalgia Ultra because this album is just so nostalgic. But um, yeah, I was on the podcast with you for four episodes. You don't remember? I used to be like throwing little jokes all the time. I remember you being very dry, humorless, serious. Well, I'd always take, I was always like, I'd just taken a shower, so I was dry. (laughs) So the driest you, well, can we break this down? The driest you ever get is after you take a shower? That is the most dry you are? After I took a shower, I, I towel off and I'm dry. Interesting. Yeah, I guess you don't have so, regular deduction skills because you're talking to yourself for an hour every fucking week. Yeah, I mean, it's a lonely existence, but I don't Yeah, know. and you seem to think that Midwest tomatoes are superior to West Coast tomatoes, but what do I know? It's not like I've lived in both places. If you're like, I guess, a rock fan that listens to this podcast, like, I feel like if Frank Ocean's pretty fucking famous, like, you probably heard this if you have any interest but if it, just in case you haven't i will put my foot down this is my favorite thing we've ever covered on the podcast this is a top 10 album of all time for me if not top five i think this is a masterpiece with multiple like 10 out of 10 songs almost every one i think this is as perfect as music gets i could not uh, give it a higher a- seal seal of approval navy seals as i would approval. usually say when I was when I was on the podcast, uh, I would say you're smoking on top fives. No, that song came out after you already left. That song didn't come out till last summer. <sighs> Dead air. Um, I had no idea that this was a top ten, let alone top five album for you. That's mm-hmm. pretty mind blowing. I didn't even know you liked this album very much. Really? Are you joking? Mm-hmm. I've never really heard you talk about it. I'm not joking. Oh no, I love Frank Ocean. He's one of my favorite musical I mean, artists I, of all time. I, I, I know you like, uh, fuck, why can't I remember what the second one is? Blonde? Or the third one. I, I know you like Blonde. I like this one more. But I didn't, I didn't know you liked this one, let alone more. I think we were just closer friends when Blonde came out than when this came out, maybe. Yeah, this would have been around the time I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you, and we weren't buddies for a while. Maybe that's just why we haven't talked about it. But no, I love you're this probably album. Dating, you're probably dating Kara, probably something like that. Sound about right? I, I didn't listen to this album until 2013. And we can, I don't think I truly listened to it until 2013, 2014. Do we want to get into that? It's hard for me to talk about like the origins of this album because it feels ubiquitous and it feels like kind of all-knowing to my life. Like it, it, like Frank Ocean's like a figure that I remember being very, very important to me from like around 2013 to you know, now still, you know, like I still really like Blonde. And I remember when Blonde came out, I thought I was like so edgy to say this album's going to be such a big deal in 10 years when it was a big deal when it came out. Like everybody liked that album. I didn't, I wasn't being edgy by saying that. But I kind of feel like in hindsight now, like looking back, like we've had both albums for a long time. Blonde's been out for seven years, came out in 2016, right? Yeah, six years. Six years. Uh, I think that Channel Orange is a better package of songs, but Blonde has all of my favorite songs on it, 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it's hard to even like. It feels wrong to even try to like rank them because it's like you're talking about like a 99 out of 100 versus a 100 out of 100. Like they're both flawless albums to me. Yeah, and he. So one, I feel like it's always been around, but one genre of music that to me really entered into my psyche and my like knowing between the years of like 2009 to 2012 was ambient music. Aphex Twin, Tim Hecker, Godspeed You Black Emperor. You know, I know Godspeed's kind of falls more in the post-rock category, but music that is like instrumental and, and creates like a very particular mood. And I feel like what's really special about Channel Orange is that it's got the kind of skit factor that like R&B and hip hop embraced in like the 80s and 90s and and still now. And it also incorporates this like ambient noise. Like you feel like you're in like a house and you feel like you're hearing the sounds of the house and the sounds of these like visions and moments and experiences that Frank is kind of like painting in front of us as we go through from the beginning of the record. And then we get into Sierra, Le Sierra Le uh, Fertilizer and Sierra Leone and Crack Rock and Later on the album, you've got like Pink Matter, which I never used to really think I liked that song as much, but I think that song is like incredibly good. And it's got that Majin Buu line on it. Like there's just so many little things here that connects me to him. And like, I love Dragon Ball Z. I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. Like those characters are more than anime manga characters to me. Like they are part of who I am. Like when I hear Majin Buu, I'm just like instantly connected to the person because they know this character. Like they know what he is. They know how ridiculous it is. They know how strangely beautiful and like cathartic that world is. And that's like how Channel Orange feels. It feels like the color. It feels like the hum of the TVs that we grew up watching. Like it, it is, it is, it is the most like pretentious thing I can say, but it genuinely feels like you're you are like, it's like a, like the idea of like what a poem should be feels like how this album listens. Like as you listen to it, it feels like that. It's, it create, it captures every single, it, and it should, I don't know how it does. Uh, yeah, all, all the little references are cool. Just like makes it feel like a lived in world. Like, yeah, it just feels like fully formed in a way that like a lot of debut yeah. projects don't. I guess this isn't his debut project, but close to it. Uh, so did you want to get into where we first heard this and stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was talking about. Um, why don't you start and I'll, I'll elaborate more on what I said. Uh, so I probably, let's see, this came out in summer of 2012. I started working at this warehouse that we both ended up working at, Green Bean, in the summer of 2013, which would have been where I heard this for the first time. I worked with a lot mm -hmm. of people that all liked the same kind of music, uh, but it was music that I wasn't familiar with. A lot of like hip hop that I didn't really listen to. They listened to a lot of Big Crit. Um, just a lot of uh, clips. A lot of rappers I didn't know at the time. And Old I remember hearing... when I rad. I remember hearing uh, some of these Frank Ocean songs. And I didn't know who it was. But I remember specifically Lost and Pyramids. And thinking those were both great songs. And then I guess at some point some I must have the best songs asked, ever. Yeah, at some point I must have asked who it was, found out it was Frank Ocean. I used to be big into Tumblr, and Frank Ocean was, like, huge on Tumblr. Uh, That's a good thing to bring up. 
so I knew who he was. Like, I knew the name through Tumblr, but I didn't know his music. So I was like, oh, I, I, I've heard of that guy. And then I listened to the album, and the rest is history. Became a super fan. I, I, so yeah, like I you, said, I, I can't really pinpoint when this album became, like, it just kind of feels like it's always been there. I can't really pinpoint exactly when I heard it. Um, so 2012 to like, I, I think it was definitely 2013 when I actually listened to it at, at least, if not 2014, but 2013, I was dating Allie at the time and I was super hot on the tracks of like, just utilizing the shit out of media fire constantly. And I know for a fact I downloaded this record and I burned it to a CD cause I had a Frank Ocean channel orange CD that I played so much in my shitty Ford Taurus that the disc was scratched and it stopped working at a certain point. I definitely like wish I could pinpoint exactly the first time I heard it, but I think for me it was more so I started with songs like Pyramids and Thinking About You, and then I eventually just let the album play through a couple of times, and I was like, oh, man, Andre 3000's on here. Oh, like, you know oh, you know, he's talking about, like, sexuality in a way that I've never heard expressed, especially, like, in this genre of music. And I thought that was really cool. And um, I think the other thing, too, is you have to think about that, like, I was, like, so inundated with Odd Future at that time. Like, I had followed them for several years prior, and I liked Tower the Creator, and, you know, I liked Earl Sweatshirt, and I liked all their music already. So, like... It's weird because I've never heard Nostalgia Ultra to this day. I haven't heard it because I have this thing. It's a stupid thing in my brain, but I'm always like, these, th these things are the best. Why do I need to go back and listen to something that might not be as good, which is a stupid thing, but there's also you know the a shit ton Nova of music. King? Yeah, I know that song. I, figured that, um, I feel like that's the, that's the big hit. And, and the thing is, is like, there is also like a shit ton of music. I don't have to explain myself, but I can't pinpoint exactly, but it was definitely like me cruising around in my car probably high or on the way to getting high and listening to this in between like Danny Brown, Vince Staples, um, you know, shit like that. I was probably doing the same thing in 2014, listening to this in between the Lawrence Arms and Touche Mori. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, and you know, my music taste back then, it was like a, sh a lot of stuff like this a lot of hip hop, um, big crit and a lot of like, like older, like nineties hip hop, like the far side tribe called quest, uh, Scarface, um, ghetto boys, three, six mafia was kind of becoming something I was into at that point. Yeah, man, it's, it's a classic record. I, I, I don't know why it feels like really hard to talk about it. I don't know. I don't know. I was listening to it last night and I was reading about it and it's just like, it's felt like such an important album for a long period of time that there was probably some kind of like self-sabotage going on with this, but I was like, why do we need to talk about this? We both clearly love it. I don't feel like I can sell it anymore to people. Like, I think there, there are like songs that I really, really love from this album, but I, I, there are some that I definitely skip sometimes. Like, but I feel like it has this magical quality where 
I'll come back to those songs that I skipped and I'll listen to them, which I did in preparation for the podcast. I listened to the album two or three times. And I was like, oh, these songs are incredible too. Like Crack Rock is one that I used to skip a lot, but you know, I've also always, I've always known it. I've always, I have listened to it all the way through. So is that making sense? Like, it just feels like every song is like either it's just, it's kind of goes with what you want. Like it kind of offers you this different selection of things, which I think kind of goes with that theme of channels, you know, and the whole story behind that for people who don't or aren't familiar with Frank Ocean is that the album's called Channel Orange, partially because of that nostalgia and like, you know, tube TV, PlayStation one load up music. And if you're not familiar with that, just go to YouTube and type in PlayStation one console loading music and you'll find it. And it's just like a ambient, like beautiful, like amazing sound that everybody who grew up with that knows. Um, and it just kind of feels like, uh, I lost, I lost what I was saying, but you know, Oh, and the album is called orange channel orange specifically because the time period that he's referring to in the album is like he saw the color orange when he was falling in love. And um, I actually never knew that until yesterday when I was reading about it. So I thought that was a really cool little layer. So that's kind of my way too long, like back history with this. It, it, it feels like something I've always known. It feels very at home. It feels very comforting. This is an album. That's like a road trip album for me. Yeah. I can tell you have a lot of, a lot of thoughts. Um, I have a little trivia talk, question. Was I talking too much? It's okay. I, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit. I felt like I was kind of doing like a verbal diary entry. I have a little trivia question for you. Okay. So Frank Ocean is, has kind of a reputation of being a, a recluse. So since he became a, an artist of note, let's say 2011 to now, we're talking 11, 12 years, how many live concerts do you think he's played? Under 12, maybe six. No, well, okay. I thought you were going to overguess. He's played 59, which is crazy. That's so few. That feels like a lot to me, but not for as as much time as he's been active, about, which is about, you know, 12 years. I mean, your average artist will play 50, over 59 shows in a mm -hmm. year. He's only played 59 shows ever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that leads me to, like, I think of Frank Ocean more as a producer than a performer. Thoughts? That's probably why, because he doesn't tour. Because I think directly to his Endless project, which um, I don't know. I think I had that on vinyl. I, if I did, you probably grabbed it. I don't know. I don't know, though. Uh, then, then you didn't, because I don't have then it. Then I didn't. I got the bootleg Channel Orange, and I got the blonde from you. Endless feels very much like a very like and and for the uh, new newer listeners like endless is the project that he, that frank released i think prior to blonde right it was like right before that you might i can't remember like maybe like a, a couple days before it or i mean they were right around the same and time. endless is kind of it like the name says it all like it's kind of this ambiguous like amorphous project and it's like a, it's it's like a it was something that was launched with um apple music as like a promotional thing to get people to sign up for that um which i think is cool as like a little time capsule like tech thing and it's basically just like an hour or so maybe less than that maybe like 45 minutes i can't remember but it's about an hour long and it's mostly just like black and white footage of like 
him building something in a warehouse, play like set to music. And it's a really, really interesting little piece of, I don't even know if you'd call it art. Like it just kind of feels like ephemera. Like it feels like something that you would keep in a trophy case. Like people who collect Gundams, like it just feels like something that you admire, but you don't really understand why it's there. Um, other than the, the sake of the fact that you love it. But um, that's kind of how I was feeling. Like, what were we talking about before this? I had a through line. I'm sorry. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I, I, I don't know. You've been going a lot. Of, I, I don't know. Uh, you, you asked about... Oh, how many shows? Uh, yeah, so I guess what I'm getting at is it, it's like, I feel like he was make, making it very clear and endless that like he, he just wants to be... He, he wants to conduct the train, but he doesn't want to be known as the conductor. Like Channel Orange, I think, doesn't even list Frank as an executive producer. They just use his, a picture of his dog. Like he doesn't want to be associated with this. He just, he, he is kind of one of these like atypical musicians who creates these really excellent pieces of art, but he doesn't want to have his name attached to him. He just wants to have created them, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think he's in the mold of like Kate Bush's, Fiona Apple, maybe. Mm -hmm. These artists are like really famous, but don't seem to really enjoy being famous. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't really think he, like, fame was never a part of the plan for him, but like, it's kind of like he's, he's one of those people who didn't really have a choice, like, kind of just like instant, like, American star, especially because, like, He's one of the, uh, kind of like Andre 3000, honestly, like, you know, they're both very, very yeah. like acclaimed, like, you know, celebrated musicians and creators, but artists, I guess is the sort or creators is kind of the pretentious thing to say, but artists will say, but you don't know much about them. You know, they're very secretive. And when they do drop things that are, that are like, they're immediately personal because this is all you get from them. And you're so invested in what they're doing. Yeah, Andre became that way. There's a a great interview he did with Rick Rubin that's it's kind of sad to hear like how he thinks how Andre 3000 thinks it's, of himself because he's such a genius, but you know, when we were kids, he was everywhere. He was in commercials, he was in movies. I mean, I can see that Hey Ya video media you know? like and then he just reached a point where like he got too famous. I don't know, he just disappeared and and he seems to like have conflicted feelings about himself. It's it's kind of sad. I, I I don't know how Frank feels, but he's never you know you never see Frank in commercials or anything like that. So you know maybe he likes just uh, like you said just living the producer mm -hmm. life, but being a solo. Artist. You know, shout out to fucking Andre three thousand. Whenever I see pictures or video, I always see like pictures and videos where people run into him on the street. And that guy is so nice. Like, just see, like, and he, he, he seems nice, you know? You know how people just seem, like, down? Like, he just feels like, I've seen pictures of him with fans, and he just seems like the nicest fucking guy. I'm sorry, I just, I don't really get to talk about it a lot, but I love Outkast. And I don't know, I don't even know all their music, and I fucking love them. So, like, the fact that Andre 3000 is connected to Frank and has showed up on, you know, several of his albums is just, it, it just feels so right, you know? Yeah, so we could talk about that. So, so Frank had a lot of buzz, a lot of momentum around 
his uh, the the Nostalgia Ultra mixtape, mm-hmm. and then when he was putting this album together with producers and musicians he was working with, he kind of had a dream list of people he wanted to see if they wanted to collaborate. And John Mayer was on there. John Mayer said yes. Um, Pharrell Williams, I think, was on there. For the rock and roll fans listening, John Mayer, again, is on this record. It's for you. Outcast was on that list, and uh, someone reached out to Andre's camp, and they said they didn't want to do an Outcast reunion on someone else's Mm -hmm. record, but that Andre 3000 wanted Mm -hmm. to do a verse. So you got Andre on there. You know, a lot of these dream people he wanted all said yes. Like, I think people probably heard demos, probably heard the stuff in the works and knew it was something special. I mean, that's what I'm saying is I feel like in the same way that like Goku and Vegeta were meant to fuse into Gogeta or Vegito, if they're using the, uh, Patara earring, um, it just, it just, that's what I said. It just, it makes so much sense to me that, you know, Andre 3000 would be the one that Frank pulls. Like he just, it's, and it's, it's hard to talk about Frank now as opposed to how you could talk about him in 2012. Like he's a completely different person now. He's a completely different artist, you know? And the way that I feel about Frank Ocean is the way that I feel like a lot of my favorite bands is like, I may never get this again. And that's a lot how I feel with Channel Orange is I may never get this again in any form. No one will ever recreate this feeling for me. And there's like this, it's, it's like this melancholy that kind of follows like me thinking about that. Same thing I get when I listen to Spodiote. Like, I'm so happy listening to that song, and I think it's one of the best Outcast songs ever fucking made, and it's one of the best songs ever made. But when it's over, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to listen to it again because nothing else compares to this, you know, in the same way that I listened to Lost. And I'm like, this is one of the best songs I've ever heard. Nothing's ever going to compare to this, you know? I, I, I think it's because I have a, a, a bad, like, I've told this story on the podcast before if I haven't. He was super into Judd Apatow movies in high school, and... I had seen them all on DVD. I never saw any of them in theaters because I wasn't old enough. And then when I was, I finally turned 17, Funny People came out and I watched the trailers. I, I did all the internet media for Funny People. I was so fucking stoked for Funny People. I go see the movie and all the funny shit was in the trailers. And I left and I was so fucking bummed because I sat in this movie for three hours. And for one thing, it was way too fucking long. The other thing is, was like, oh my, I had this thought, which is a sad thought. I recognize it's a sad thought, but it's always stuck with me. Oh, I'm never going to get my hopes up again for anything because my I have been so let down in this experience that I'm never going to get excited again. And that is something that has followed me for so long. So like Frank, I feel in, in, in some ways now as opposed to then, like I'm like, I have, he's given us these incredible things. Like I never, I might, we might never, we might not hear from him again for 30 years for all we know, you know? And there's always going to be buzz like, you know, Frank's putting something out, Frank's putting something out. And that's kind of the fun that, I think Frank's lucky to have as an artist. Like people are so adamant and really excited about him. Anyway, sorry. Uh, he just ended a. That, that's how Joe Biden always ends his debate uh, answers. Sorry. I just I I just I, I, I genuinely the, the audience can tell. I'm sure if they didn't tell at the beginning, like I'm just really scatterbrained about this. I I have a hard time talking about it. You know, it's very like it is a very emotional experience for me to talk about this music. Uh, so what you were saying about not wanting to get let down, I've noticed that about you. I, f- I feel like you like to uh, temper your expectations. Yeah, so which is... Happened when the new Kendrick Yeah, which album is shitty, and I, like, I still feel like I get, like, I have a lot of joy, but, like, 
I do definitely like lack that level of excitement now. And I, I like, I've tried to get it back for a long time, but it's, oh, it's just, it's like a lesson that I learned at that age. Like I was like, you just have to, you know, don't overdo it. Like, you know, don't read about shit a bunch, you know, like just kind of let it come to you. I mean, it can be a good thing though. Just recently with that new Thor movie, I saw it was getting like, you know, not so great reviews. So I was like, oh, maybe it's not going to be that good. So when I went in to watch it, I didn't have mm -hmm. very high expectations, which probably made me love mm -hmm. it even more because I thought it was great. But part of that might have been because I had lower expectations. Sometimes it's good to have your expectations. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Because mm -hmm. then you can uh, mm -hmm. overdeliver. Yeah. When you go in just kind of like, oh, this will be a fun time, you know, uh, you'll come out of it maybe being surprised as opposed to like let down. So that's that's a good practice for sure. I'm I apologize. I I, I got us really off topic there. Um, you, you were talking. We were talking about like, um, how Outcast was one of his like dream collaborations. Yeah, and then, you know, there's no way for Frank to know at the time, but it's really cool that this is like, I think definitively definitively one of the like classic albums of mm -hmm. the 2010s. And you have the old guard in Andre 3000, and then you also have Earl. And it just seems so, like, perfect that they would be on this album together. It's like passing yep. the torch almost. It's so cool. And they had no way to know at the time, you know, what hip-hop would look like 10 years from now. But, like, Earl carries Well, that's that what's so, torch. like, really compelling cool. about this group, like... And, and I do think that at a certain point, Frank separated from Odd Future and all the Odd Future people like became their own things, which I think was kind of always meant to happen because they were all so talented and different, different enough that it, it would never have been like a fully collaborative thing. But they've all managed to be like, uh, like, you know, getting along. And I've always thought like, you know, they just have such this like, they just admire their like elders so much in that group. Like I remember the story about them meeting MF doom and how MF doom was like, yo, like I, I, I love your all stuff. Like I listened to, I've, I've been listening to it and how like, just imagine being, just yeah, imagine being like Earl and like, this is like your favorite rapper ever. And he's like, he likes your music. Like, I just think that is so cool. And for anyone that hasn't heard it. The yeah, early Earl Sweatshirt stuff when he was like a baby, basically, like he was like 14 or 15, is, is like, I think, still very good. Yeah, I mean, that dude was like born to rap. I think he's even younger than the rest of Odd Future, right? Who were already really young. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He was one of the younger ones because I think there was that whole thing that just made them blow up even more where he got sent to Samoa and there was like the free mm -hmm. Earl shit. His uh, verse on Super Rich Kids is probably my favorite thing he's ever done. Yeah, the line, we are the Zanny Nashing, uh, something like that. I just, I, like, Zanny Nashing is, like, just an incredible combination of words that he put together. Just seemingly, it just seems effortless. I'm sure he was writing lines for a while, but if he wasn't and he just came up with that, either way, amazing. Yeah, it would be a great like collab collaboration album one day because Frank is so creative with melody and structure, and Earl's so creative with wordplay. It's just like a, a match made in heaven for them to do music together. One name that I don't often bring up when I talk about Frank is uh, his fre frequent collaborative partner uh, who goes by Malay. 
Um, I definitely feel like that's someone who shouldn't be left out of the conversation because I think that his work, you know, he did a lot of the keyboards and the synths and the guitar and the bass on Channel Orange. And I think that those textures that he helped create, if you read about it, it's really interesting. Like the making of this album is very vague because Malay kind of makes it feel like Frank was writing a lot of the music, but you know, I think when we think of singer-songwriters in a modern era, we think of people who have songwriters who like write this, like Billie Eilish, her brother, you know, writes a lot of the music for her and then she probably just does like lyrics and stuff like that. But like with someone like Frank Ocean, it definitely could, it feels like maybe he's just in the booth all the time, like switching instruments and experimenting, but he's also got this other guy working with him. So there's like sort of this collaborative element that, it's like, you don't know how much they're collaborating. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's what's just cooler about hip-hop and R&B is that, like, a rock band, there's only, like, two ways a song can get written. Like, you write it on acoustic guitar and show it to your band, or you all, like, jam on an idea together. Yeah. But hip-hop and R&B, there's, like, an infinite number of ways the song could have got, you know, could have gotten written. And he, he's worked with some cool artists, like... And some big ones like Lord, he was on Blonde. He worked on Blonde, Tune Yards. This is the producer you're talking about. Yeah, he's he's worked on a lot of cool stuff. He he worked on a John Mayer song. Um, prolific guy. He worked with Big Boy, pretty crazy. So let's let's dive into at least a couple of the songs. I've kind of been putting this off because, you know, we we don't have the time to spend 20 minutes on every song like I'd like to. Let's start with Pyramids, which is like. Like, the first time someone is to listen to this album, that's the standout. It's a 10-minute, just epic song, uh, kind of split into two halves. The first half being about uh, Cleopatra mm -hmm. and the pyramids, ancient Egypt. And then he juxtaposes it into being about a stripper named Cleopatra that works at a strip club called The Pyramid. And... Dude, it's mine. Like, it still blows my mind like it did the first time I heard it. It's a... It's a feat of songwriting. It's amazing. What do you think? When it transitions into that second part, and now I call her Cleopatra, and it's got that, like, vocoder and the, like, noise modulation on his voice. Like, it's, like, kind of hitting that, like, 808s Kanye vibe. And then I just... The whole song builds up to that moment for me. And then you get that amazing guitar outer lewd from John Mayer. And I'm not like a huge John Mayer fan, but the guitar work on that is just so pretty. And it's so like fitting to the song. And the guitar is just so luscious. And like, you can like, it just it just feels like like the, the 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 like lightest most delicate cheese on your tongue while you're listening to it and it's just great. It's it's a it's a feat of songwriting as Ian McCurtis said 2022. There there's this way he talks about the woman like he's watching her get dressed in the mirror mm -hmm. like so it's it's like a sexual thing cuz in a strip club but he just says it so he's talking about these things so matter-of-factly and well, it's like he truly just, is admiring her. It's not like a... Yeah, exactly. It's not exactly. like, like you know, you're hot, 
you know, I watch you put your putting your underwear on. Like, he's like he's delicate. He's intimate. Like, it's very, very like evocative of like how it feels when you love somebody, or or a or even just admire the beauty of a person. I've grown to love R and B as a genre, but a lot of the R and B I heard growing up, which just would have been whatever was on the radio, was so like. Especially the male artists were these guys who I feel like wanted everyone to think they were so sexy and wanted to exude this confidence, but it felt like showing off. Like they're just so scared that people won't like them and they just want to like exude this sexual energy, this like it, it felt like such try hard shit. And Frank Ocean is just like effortlessly cool, effortlessly has this confidence in his music that it's almost like Stevie Wonder, just like it just grooves. It's just it's just there. He's like doesn't even have to try, and it, it opened me to a whole new world of you know. Then then you dive into D'Angelo and this whole world of R and B that is like that. But this was kind of my first experience to it. I think it probably was a first experience for a lot of people, right? Yeah, because like I said, this guy was you know very famous on Tumblr, which was like. A lot of white kids like me that listen to punk or indie rock that, you know, and real grew to know this guy. Realistically, like, you grew up white, so like, black music like this, like, it was really this this record was really important to, you know, white music fans as well because like this like Odd Future catered to that like they they pulled in all of these different listeners because they did have that. Hmm. You know, it, it, they were just so big and they drew in both those crowds. Now, regarding like the racism that comes with like white people who like, you know, just like don't listen to rap, don't listen to R&B. Like a lot of it is exposure. Like, you know, there's people who are really familiar with like black exploitation films and stuff like that. And it's just like if you didn't get exposed to it, you don't know about it. So I feel like Channel Orange is especially important to a lot of people because they may never have been introduced to R&B in this style. And even then it's not even fair to call this an R and B record. Like there's new wave elements, there's ambient elements, there's like, you know, skits. It's very, there's some, there, it feels a little bit like a rap album at times. Like it, it's, it's everything, you know? And it, I don't want to pigeonhole it by being like, this is the record that made white people love R and B, but I think it helped a lot of kids like us and our generation. Like, you know, my dad didn't keep black music around when we were kids, like if we didn't hear it on TV, well, he definitely didn't have it on the car. So like, you know, we didn't get exposed to it. So this was like a big, this is probably a big thing for people. I mean, my parents had like black music around, but th this is just my experience. Let me know if this tracks with you. I feel like when I was a kid, hip hop was already just like American culture, just like everyone listened to hip hop. Mm -hmm. But R&B was still like, white people didn't really listen to R&B. That was still, like, kind of mostly, at least growing up, the kids I knew was black kids listened to R&B. Yeah. White people might know R. Kelly, and that was about it. And I feel like, at least with our group of people, Frank Ocean and then Solange and now SZA, and there's this wave that now, like, white people are into the kind of music we are into listen to R&B. Definitely. I think that there's a, like, with the availability of music and the fact that, like, 
let's be real, like R&B was like catered to black people and like white people kind of stole that and then, you know, made it, you know, quote unquote, like white music or like white centric and they like stole those ideas. So I think that like it was, it, you just didn't come across it. Like when I actually got out of my parents' house, went to college, like met people that, you know, didn't look like me. I started going to punk shows. I met more people who like didn't grow up like me. Like I started realizing that I was so behind on, on all this music, you know? Um, and it was a big well, deal. Well, and part of that is like, so there's this great book called Major Labels that kind of, there's a chapter on R&B and kind of goes through the history and R&B was kind of marketed by record executives to be uh, for black people, by black people, mm -hmm. until th there was never a white R&B star. Yeah. Until maybe Justin Timberlake, but even then he got called a pop star. Yeah. Justin Bieber gets called a pop mm -hmm. star. Like even when white people make R&B, uh, the music industry doesn't like to call it R&B. I, I don't know if they make more money separating it like that. It's hundred percent of money and a racism thing. I'm pretty sure. It, it's definitely by design. Um, because like, you know, the Beatles loved rhythm and blues music, but most rhythm and blues music back then was coming from black artists. And I think predominantly it probably still is now. Um, but it is interesting to think about it in that scope, like how that has changed for white audiences and how, like, I would say even more so than 10 years ago and 10 years before that, like black music is like complete like that is the music experience of today like there are more superstar icon like musicians that are black than white right now i think it's that's i don't feel like it's ever been that way um what do you think yeah i i, I just like that seems normal to me just with like what i usually listen to but as far as like pop music at large i don't know i mean you have to think I about think the right. general population like I think even like the most basic person these days probably knows who Frank Ocean is and probably likes at least one Frank Ocean song in the same way that people feel about Tyler the Creator, Future, Drake, uh, be, you know, Beyonce, Rihanna. Like these are our these are our like rock stars. These are our superstars, you know. And most of them are like a lot of them are black women, which is awesome. And then a lot of them are like, you know, I think a big thing that's worth mentioning is that I feel like Frank Ocean is one of those like. Mold. I think that's probably another reason why he's remained so private is he broke the mold about like like black black people couldn't talk about having you know a relationship with a man even ten years ago. That was a big deal. And yeah, let's let's talk about that. So when Channel Orange came out, Frank Ocean put out a thing on uh, his Tumblr again, talking about how he had a relationship with a guy. That's what a lot of this album was about. It's just, that was his first. And I remember that love. That was his like. That was the first person he like truly fell in love with, which I think is beautiful. And I remember that being a huge deal. Yeah, like it was important. You know, pretty, pretty unheard of in that space. And then in any in any space, let's let's not even. It's in any space that was a big deal. You know. I don't know. In rock music, you had Elton John, you had Queen, like David you had Bowie, Judas Priest. Yeah, I don't think it was that unheard of in, in rock, but regardless. Um, then just yesterday, I see Lil Uzi Vert uh, said that their pronouns are they, them. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I think it's nothing. Like, no, it's, he, at least in my world, 
that's like not even who cares. Like it's nothing. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah. That's such a big evolution from ten years ago. I a hundred percent agree. It's it's an awesome awesome thing. So that's cool. And a lot a lot of rappers help that. You know, there's um, Young Thug and you know there was a whole generation of rappers that like even if they weren't LGBTQ plus they played with the way they dressed or you know they sort of made this freedom of expression more possible. Mm-hmm. But Frank, I feel like Frank was really you know. The biggest catalyst. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is, without a doubt, that is like that was a huge deal because I remember, okay, so fast forward 10 years later, we've got like Gerard Carmichael came out in his mm-hmm. new special, Rathaniel, and that was a total mindfuck to me because his persona read such like a straight person, and I think that was probably even more difficult for him. And... That's probably problematic on my part, but I probably wasn't the only person who thought that. But that doesn't make it any less like difficult for him, but I do feel like if if this hadn't started happening 10 years ago, it would have been much more difficult for these. And 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 Gerard Carmichael's young. I don't even think that guy is if he's 30, he just turned 30. And like so he grew up with these people that he's caught like he's connected with them too because you know he was on that Tower the Creator record. Uh, Igor, you know, and that's the album that Tyler talked about having like a relationship with a guy. But, you know, in the same way that Frank did on Channel Orange and then what Tyler did on Igor, like love is love. And at a certain point, you could read the sexuality to be at anyone. It just so happens that, you know, Forrest Gump is pretty clearly outlining what happened. You know, it's it's. I don't think it is overselling cool, the album that like this, like you said earlier, I'll just hone in on that. Like this is a pivotal turning point for music for our generation. It is very important and it impacted a lot of shit that came after it. Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons, the, the genres of music he plays with so many things sound like Frank Ocean after this, mm-hmm. the sexuality things you were just talking about the the features like yeah i mean this is like it'd be hard to talk about music of the past 10 years and not mention this album like towards the top as far as like why music today sounds the way it does 100 percent. so let's uh what what other song do you want to let, let's talk about lost mm-hmm. it's got that great um i don't know what it is that synth line yeah what um Jake Curtis, what city you mentioned would you most like to go to? Uh, Miami, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Spain, Los Angeles, or India? Probably India. You? Uh, you know me. I'm picking Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I Something just seems right about going to India. Seems right. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Can't elaborate on it anymore. Oh, Lost is probably the song that made me like actively um, when, when I heard it at the at the job I was working at the time. I was like, I got to hear this out. Just so catchy, so different than like, you know. I do think this is like an R and B album, like a classic R and B mm-hmm. album, but so many ways of going about it that I never heard before. And this song doesn't feel like. I don't even know how, like, what genre of music you'd call that song. I feel like 
there's probably two songs on this album that you send somebody who's like, oh, I'm trying to get into Frank Ocean. Like, what do I listen to? Let's assume that they're asking that in 2022. You send them Lost and you send them Thinking About You. I think those are the two ones that kind of cover all the bases. And then if you want to get a little bit further than that, you're sending them Sierra Leone, Rich Kids, um, and Pyramids, you know? You're sending them the whole album. Monks has that awesome, like, drum part. It's yeah, like, Monks is good. That's that's one that I was listening to today, and I was like, oh, shit, this song's awesome, and I never really paid that much attention to it. It's very triumphant. When he says Monks in the, when he says monks in the mosh pit and then the way the snare drum's hitting, monks like it sounds like a song you can mosh yeah. to. Bad Religion is just like this beautiful, like, gospel-sounding song. Yeah. Forrest Gump has that melody that, like, clo- like... It gets stuck in my head all the time, even if the rest of the song mm-hmm. doesn't. There's so many good songs. Crack Rock is a song I've always wanted to cover. I think there's a great like pop punk song to be made out of that song. Crack Rock. There's like a do you pick Sw- up on like this winking quality to the music? Uh in, it's in like what a way? it it feels like there's a very tongue in cheek like quality to to how it's being performed. Like it feels like there's kind of like little in jokes and like references being thrown in there. Did you pick up on anything like that? I guess it feels like in the way that you might write a diary and you have all these inside jokes with yourself. That's what yeah. I mean. I wouldn't call it winking, but yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it feels like he's just expressing himself how he would think of it in his own head and he's not worrying if it makes sense to you or not. And that, I think that's what makes it uh, ring is being honest. Like, Pilot Jones, like, I don't know what that means. Like, there's a lot of things on this album. Like, I don't know what that means, but you can tell it means something to him. I always think of Pilot Light when I hear Pilot Jones. I don't know why. Something about, like, an oven, something like that. I I think of, you know how people might be like, uh, like, I might be talking about you, Jake, and I might be like, uh, Math Rock Jones over here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's like someone who flew planes and it's like, oh, Pilot Jones. Well, over that's there. another big theme on the record, right? Is like Werewolf escaping Jones. and traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Lost, you know, if you're lost, then you've got somewhere where you don't know where you are. Um, yeah, I mean, Lost is going all around the world. Monks makes you think of like Tibet. Yes, Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going all around the world. Pyramids mm-hmm. going all around the world. On yeah, this it's album. very much like a where in the world is Carmen San Diego situation. Where in the world is Frank Ocean? No one ever knows. Um, what do you think about the the like little skits and interludes? Th- those are the things that I usually don't like on hip hop R and B records, but I think they're great. Honestly. Well, there's a couple of recurring themes, and the the list, listening to this album now is different than it was ten years ago. Obviously, for us, because you know, blonde kind of brings back a lot of the motifs from Channel Orange in a different, in a new way. But like, there's the, there's the obvious stuff, like the um, samples he has of his mom um, mm-hmm. work really well. I think the ending track to the album is really good. It's very like, don't smoke marijuana mm-hmm. unless it's given to you by a doctor, then it's okay. Um, yeah. I think the stuff with his mom on blonde is like the instrumental behind it adds like this, gravitas to it but um yeah 
Uh, I, I love Fertilizer, and that's like a cover. I guess they kind of uh, were playing around with that as like an interlude. And I think to name it Fertilizer is an interesting, like it feels like you're plant, they're, like they've planted the seed with Thinking About You, and then Fertilizer, they're fertilizing the soil and kind of adding like a, there's like a wetness happening. There's, a, there's all this like sort of sexual undercurrent happening, you know? But yeah, I, I like the skits, if that's what you want to call them. Um, I kind of just consider them to be like interludes and like part of the album, you know? Yeah, inter interludes is a better word. I mean, you start with that, like you said at the top, you start with that PlayStation sound, like that's instantly putting everyone of our age group in a certain mind frame mm -hmm. where they're like primed to like it. You should make, Jake, you should make channel, like channel turquoise and it opens with the Dreamcast music. I never had a Dreamcast. I would feel like false to Dreamcast fans. Hmm. Well, what about the? I just do the GameCube. I never had a GameCube, but I guess I'll have to do the Dreamcast. Or the uh, the Game Boy startup. It's pretty iconic. It's just like the sort of a chime. Or Windows ninety five. I can't do it. Brian Eno did that. Brian Eno. For our listeners who are unfamiliar... You got paid like $100,000 to make three seconds of Bri music. Brian Eno is a musician who was in Roxy Music. So what... I mean, I I could honestly... I mean, this could be a three-hour episode, but we, we'll, we'll cut it short. Do you have... Um, let's, let's wrap it up here. What do you think was your favorite song, like, when you were first getting to this album, and then what's your favorite now? Ian, level with me. Uh, did, this, did this episode suck? I don't okay. think so. I'm, 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 I'm getting in my head, and I'm worried that I talked too much at the top of the episode, and it's going to be boring. I don't know why. I don't know wh why I feel that way. Uh, the song that I think always sticks out to me is Pyramids. That's the one that I would put on all the time. It was my favorite one to listen to, especially... That's, the, that's, the, that's what's difficult about this album, is this album came about during my very heavy weed-smoking period, and I remember very, very little about like the minutia of my life at that time. Like when I think of this album, I think of this corner of a room that I had in uh, the house I lived in with Allie. And I had a bookshelf that I set up and then I had a short box of comics and then I had like a crate of records and it, this was like my stuff. And she would have these parties where these like douche, douchey, like shitty, like not my people, people would get invited over and I fucking hated it. But I just always think of like channel orange with that image, like this kind of like safe quality to it. And I remember like being at parties and like pyramids would play and I'd, I'd instantly like calm down because like I loved that song so much, but I was also super high during that period, so I can't, like, it's embarrassing, I guess, now to say, but I can't pinpoint those experiences. They just, again, they feel like, like, they remind me of when I was a delivery driver at Jimmy John's, and I was driving around, like, delivering sandwiches, and in between routes, I would have Channel Orange on, or, like, some other, like, hip-hop record. Uh, so, Pyramids would be my choice. What about you? What about now? Now Lost, for sure. That's the one I always go back to. I would also I would also say pyramids back then, just because it was, 
It, it was like hearing Runaway by Kanye West mm-hmm. the first time. It was just so impressive. Such a long, epic song with so many parts. It's just hard not to be blown away by it. Now, this is like a go-to song whenever I'm in the car alone that I just love to sing Crack Rock. How's the gutter doing? Yeah, it's a great song. I also think, like, at, even as of today, Pink Matter is another one that I think I slept on a lot when I was younger, and I really appreciate a lot more now. I mean, there's, like, okay, so there's 17 tracks, maybe, like, 13 songs, if you take out the mm-hmm. interludes. I think, like, 10 of the songs on this album are perfect. I mean, this is, like, an unbelievably good album. Yeah, I think they're all. I think all the songs are good. I don't think there's any that I would take out. I think the whole album is pretty great. They're all great. I and I think some of them are. More I think than great. that the latter half of the record, like after Pyramids, after Lost, requires it's less driving. It's a lot more emotional. It's a lot more free form, free flow. I think it requires a lot. Yeah, Blonde's it requires a lot way. more attention because you can kind of get lost in just the sounds. And then when you hear Frank Ocean say "pleasure." Like you're just like instantly if you if you're listening for those moments and you're present for those moments, it's like the best thing ever. Well, Jake, that was Channel Orange. Is pink anniversary. matter supposed to be like when you are going down on a woman and you like peel their skin open? Uh, if you want it to be, I think it's supposed to be the brain. But if you want it to be that, the brain, another slang for hanging members. Hey, uh, listen, everybody, we appreciate you listening to Jubilee Street. Um, been a weird time for me. I felt very scatterbrained and I was very like listless and like purposeless for a long, long time. And, uh, when I say a long, long time, it's like basically been since earlier this year when I finished like this like side writing project that I was working on and we were doing the podcast, but I just kind of like felt like I lost my way and I feel like I'm kind of starting to get it back a little bit. So I just want to say that it's really cool that we still have people like tuning in and listening to this and, you know, thanks for sticking around because we just love talking about music, you know? So thank you. Thanks everybody. We got a new discord page. The link is, uh, it'll be in the description. For Please this join. Please uh, join. And it's going to be fun. You can, yeah, join. Uh, we got other stuff too, but that's what we'll, that'll be the focus mm-hmm. for today. And we will be back again soon with another episode Thank you, we love you, and good night. And if you're working at the pyramids tonight, I can't wait to watch you take your panties off in the mirror. I just wanna know why you ain't